Suffolk Pod Show is produced and managed by podtalk.co.uk. I'm Mark Mason. And I'm Susanna Hornby. Welcome back, Dax, to the Suffolk Pod Show. We spoke to you way back, episode 24, but here we are at episode 49. How lovely to have you wow. again. <laughs> That's a lot of episodes. Congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you. It just goes so quickly and it feels um, that we didn't speak to you too long ago, but gosh, how things have changed since then. And you've got so much more to tell I us. Have. For the people who didn't hear you back in uh, the beginning of last year, Dax, can we talk about you for a little bit and your growing up and, and how you eventually ended up here in Suffolk with us? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hello, everyone. Uh, Dax Colner and... I am a middle-aged guy who's American and living in Suffolk, and my journey has been an interesting one. (laughs) I'm obviously American, uh, grew up in the States, and lived a lot of places, actually. I lived in, I was born in Ohio, but I only lived there as a baby. Um, Ended up moving to Boston, Massachusetts, to New York, to Los Angeles. I spent time in Austin, Texas for Mm -hmm. a long time, which I loved. And and the reason was, is I had um, a father, not in the military, as you may imagine, but in show business. Mm. Uh, And he, and his career started really when I was a little baby, he started to get jobs doing directing jobs for television. So he was directing sports. He directed Wimbledon mm-hmm. in the early days of HBO. He was coming over here for that. He directed lots and lots and lots of music videos, I think over 200. Many, many concert specials, comedy specials. He did Pee Wee Herman's first special, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld's first special. I mean, like really crazy mm. stuff. Mm. Uh, and so I was on this journey with him as a kid growing up in this weirdly like... Um, going from being super poor, honestly, mm. to having like all of the excess of Hollywood and celebrity mm. thrust into our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was it was an odd upbringing. Lots of lots of famous faces coming yeah. through our doors, mm-hmm. and um, and it was a crazy time. Like my dad was he was a young father, and so he was fully enjoying the Hollywood. He was split up from my mom, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, and then fully enjoying the Los Angeles lifestyle that you might imagine in those days. Yeah. What? 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 Which decade are we talking about? Well, let's see. It was it, we moved there in 1979, mm-hmm. I think it was, or 80, mm-hmm. and so it was the. Let's just say there are certain substances that were going around at that time that mm-hmm. I'm sure there were plenty of happening in my house. In fact, I know there was. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a party time. There's one. Uh, my sister tells a story, but we had my dad was working with uh, Stevie Nicks mm-hmm. uh, from Fleetwood Mac. Um, Stevie Nicks and my stepmother were in our living room, and they were putting like um, they were decorating blue jeans, like putting fancy stuff on blue jeans. Right. And she went to bed, and then she said she got up the next morning, and they were all sat there the next morning doing exactly the same <laughs> thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was this was my odd upbringing in this house. You were so young, yeah, though. I'm, I was. I mean, I and I didn't know about the drug stuff, honestly. No. Like I didn't. Yeah. But you. But now looking back, it's so obvious. You know, mm-hmm. I just was kind of oblivious, but I obviously knew something was up. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't like your average house. Mm-hmm. And then all the celebrity stuff, also like. I'll say one thing, you know, if I meet someone who is well-known now, 
I know they're just a human being and just to treat them like anybody else. Mm. You know, I might respect them mm. and, and because of, of their careers and their art, but they really just are people and they're as flawed as everyone else and they mm. have their foibles and their, you know, their nervousness, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're all just regular people. And so now it's like, I do have that point of view or perspective from being mm. around it growing up. Mm. Yeah. And it's really, yeah. it's really interesting to hear about it because in those days, of course, there was no social media. There was no, there was no real form of, of those things being seen by anybody else. So it was quite a secret world back then. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, I, it's what the funny thing is like, I had a moment of being famous when I was 13 mm -hmm. Where I was in one of my dad's videos, and for six months I was recognized on the street, <laughs> and I kind of dug it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, can I say. <laughs> uh, and and I had changed schools that year, and then and and in the new school they they recognized me. Someone mm. asked me in the first twenty minutes, like, "Are you the kid in the Twisted Sister video?" And um and within I have to say this is without phones and social media within 20 minutes the whole school knew that the kid from that video was at their school brilliant it just spread around like crazy <laughs> and then I and then because I turned to then to, into being a musician myself mm. like I was for a long time I wanted that famous high like that feeling of you're popular mm. but then as I get older and you see social media and the way and the intrusiveness I think of mm. celebrity now and also the the kind of need for famous people to not all of them do this, but to maintain like an online presence. Mm -hmm. And I just find that totally not who I am. And I, I'm mm. so glad I don't have that. You know, yeah. I, I don't I want my quiet and my private time and to be able to walk down the street. And mm. I can't even imagine that now. That would just be such a drag. I, I mean, all absorbing, I would imagine, and just completely taking over your life. And you live your life yeah. talking to people I mean, you don't know. I mean, if you want know. to keep it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, listen, I'm still friends with Dee Snyder, the singer for Twisted Sister. Yeah. And I also follow him on social media. Mm. And, and I have to say, when I first met him, he was not famous. It was before they made it. Mm. Um, and it, it was that first video for We're Not Gonna Take It that made them really famous. Mm. When I first met him, he was desperate to be famous. He wanted to be a rock star. Mm. Like he, th This was his goal. And so when he became famous, he loved it. And he continues to love it, I think. Mm. It's part of what drives him. And so when you look at his social media, he's great. I mean, he's like, he's not afraid to say what he really thinks. He's mm. not that kind of like you mm. know, super careful, but he's but he's regularly posting. He's always updating people. He's responding to his fans. Mm. And again, like that's great for him, but it's not for everybody. No, it's not. Do you think he has someone doing yeah. it for him or do you think it's actually him? I know he doesn't. Right. Because okay. I because I spent time with him and I, mm. I've seen him doing it like literally in the room on the on his phone. Yeah. And again, like you're you're hanging out with real people. <laughs> yeah. And here you are having to maintain this kind of online fame yeah. kind of thing, the yeah. presence, the persona. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. He did a he he did. I mean, he's awesome because he recently posted on his Twitter. You know, I'm going to I'm going to tell you guys about Dax. He's a he's a he was the kid in that video and he's still making music and he's a great singer. <laughs> All of a sudden, I, I swear to you, I said to my wife, like, what's happening with my Twitter account? It's really? blowing up right now. <laughs> All of a sudden, I had like hundreds of people adding me on Twitter. I was like, I have no idea what I've done. <laughs> Did I get am I in some scandal? <laughs> <laughs> no, that is just the power of mentions, isn't it? I mean, it is it's incredible. It is. Yeah. Is it? 
from that moment that um, influenced you to become a musician or was that always going to be, was it always part of the making of you? It's an interesting question because I don't know that I have an honest answer because it's, mm. I can't be objective about it. I remember that I had music. My mother is a musician, so I grew up learning instruments, um, piano, then drums, and then my I got a guitar. And so I always had that around me and always had some interest in music, but I just didn't really know what my life was going to be. Mm. But I do think I had a choice, you know, because in my family, a, number, a couple of my brothers are editors. So they work in show business behind mm. the camera. My dad still directs and he's behind the camera. And I just decided at some point I wanted to be in front of the camera and mm. be on the stage rather than behind the camera. So that was just a decision that I took. And it probably was influenced partly by that experience for sure. Yeah. And then also just I was already in it in terms mm. of music. And I had some ability, like I was able to jam out a song or sing a bit. So mm. I had something to work with. Mm. You chose it as your profession, Dax. I did. Mm -hmm. and I chose it as my profession. It's not my today is not my money making job, but mm -hmm. it still is. It's more than a hobby. It is a it's a serious part of my life and a yeah. passion. And so I still pursue it with, you know, not as much time as I would like, but as much focus and energy mm -hmm. as I've always have. Mm. Well, it is part of you. It makes you, in, in other words. It is. And, and I've, I've been married twice. And my first wife, she was always sort of like, well, when are you going to, you know, this isn't really going the way you thought it would. When are you going to stop <laughs> doing the music thing? And I was like, never. <laughs> it's not, I, there is no stopping. Mm. It is who I am. So, and my, my current wife, and I could tell you that story, it's part of why I live here. Um, she's also an artist. And yes. so she, mm. She gets it because she she she's had some success as well, but she's not like a globally renowned artist yet. Mm. But she still has the passion and the drive because mm. it's in her. And mm. I get that. And we get each other in that way. Yeah. That's so important yeah. to be able to be free to do what you love. You can only love more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Your wife, Amanda, is from Suffolk yes. originally? No, she's right. from London. Mm-hmm. Here's the story of me and my wife. And okay. I think you'll enjoy the story. <laughs> I first, I when I was in when I went to university, it was in Boston University in Massachusetts in the states. Mm -hmm. I was in this music appreciation class, and one day, um, in walks in this another student. This woman came in with a motorcycle helmet under her arm, and plopped down next to me. Mm -hmm. We started up a conversation, and she was English, mm -hmm. and. That is my current wife's sister. So oh. what happened is I became friends with her sister. We never dated. Mm -hmm. Nothing nothing untoward here. Yeah. <laughs> um, we became friends. And then Amanda, my wife, was visiting the States. And she and, and Trendle, her sister, said, you got to you, will you come over for dinner? You're my, my one of my only cool friends and meet my sister <laughs> and have dinner with us. And so I went over to her flat for dinner and her sister was one of the most stunning women I'd ever laid eyes on. I just was like mm -hmm. instantly agog. And so I chased her. I was 19 years old. I chased <laughs> after Amanda. Like you wouldn't believe. She was only there for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. But we did have a brief but really intense fling, let's mm -hmm. call it. Mm -hmm. And I said to my roommate, listen, I'm again, I'm 19 years old. I said to my flatmate, I said, I've, I've met the woman I want to spend my life with. And as it turns out, Amanda didn't feel the same way. Oh. 
So we went our separate ways for 23 years. <laughs> then we both ended up living in New York City, and we both were had been married and separated from our spouses. Mm-hmm. And we both we, we decided to get a coffee because we were still in touch. I still knew her sister. We were mm-hmm. Facebook friends. Here's social media. And so we went out for a coffee, and I have to say it was like magnets that had been pulled apart for 23 years. It was, there was a chemistry that never went away. And that was, let's see, 12 years ago. And we've been married almost nine years. Mm. And that's it. You know, I was right at 19. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than unrequited love. You obviously rebuilt yourself, Dax, and and carried on, but still, (laughs) I I love that. I I pined, but I gave up. You know, I I like accepted that she was off on her journey. Mm. And I think, and you know what? Who knows? If we had gotten together then, yeah. would we still be together today? You just don't know. No, you don't. And yeah. I'd like to think that you wouldn't in some ways and that you needed that life <laughs> experience to, to get together again. And that's lovely. Yeah, it's love a real, that. It's yeah. a love story. Yeah, yeah it really it's is. It's gorgeous. And yeah. a love story that now has moved from New York City to Suffolk. Exactly. So we're living in New York in this one-bedroom flat with two daughters. Mm-hmm. And they're they're biologically hers, but basically my kids. Mm-hmm. And they're twins, and they both graduated high school and decided to come over across the pond to university. So one of our girls is in Berlin, and one is here in Surrey finishing her veterinary degree one more year. And and we were empty nesters. And then um, I have to say, President Trump was elected, which was just like devastating for us in the U.S. And so we just said, let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. Let's just get out of here. And her mom's actually in Essex. She's in um, a village in Essex. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to be close to her mom. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to be close to the girls-ish, you know. So we came mm-hmm. out. We started looking around. We ended up house-sitting for a, a friend of her mom's in Barrie. And mm-hmm. we're like, what is this place? Um, <laughs> I'd never seen, never been to Barry St. Edmunds. My wife, who's English, had never been to Barrie St. Edmunds. Mm-hmm. And we're like, this is something special. Mm-hmm. And so we started shopping around and looking for places where we might live. And yeah. we found an amazing place. And so we, we just love it here. And so mm. she's not from Suffolk, but we are fully ensconced in Suffolk. And mm. we, we're here. Mm. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> and um, you obviously brought all your instruments with you, Dax. <laughs> yes. And I'll tell you, I plugged in two or three when I first got here and instantly smoke started coming out of them oh no because i didn't realize the voltage difference even though i had an adapter (laughs) i i forgot that it's like double the voltage here and i destroyed three different instruments until i realized oh Oh. crap i better get the right yeah (laughs) oh that's tragic (laughs) (laughs) so how long have you been in berry now it has been Three years and a couple of months. That's right. Yeah. I remember you saying that yeah. before. And of course, you arrived, just started to settle in. And then, of course, things changed a little bit in this country. They and, certainly did. Well, oh, I mean, thank goodness we had a nice house, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we're like, we're stuck in the house. Let's make the most of it. So she, my wife has created a studio in the house where she's doing her work. She's out there right now sculpting on her one, a piece of wood. And then I put a studio of my own in the cellar so I could make my own stuff. And we really have made the most of it. Mm. We really have. Mm. Yeah. So when... It gave us a chance to work on our art. Yeah. I'm, I'm just picturing yep. it now. It just it just feels it's like a, feels like a house of bliss of music and creation. <laughs> I am. It sounds wonderful. So tell us about... 
how you decided to form your band, Super Jelly. Yes. So when I left, when I left New York City, I had a band there, and I it was difficult to leave that band. It really was. It was mm. a it was a rockin' band. Um, but it, I also just felt it was time on a number of levels. So when when I came out here, we took some time to find our place, obviously, and to settle in before I started actively thinking about a new band. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what I used was online because I didn't, we didn't really know people. So couldn't ask around. We were new to the town, mm-hmm. new, new to the community. Um, so I went on, I think it's Bandmix, which is a, a website where musicians in the UK find each other. And I started putting postings out there. And the first person to reach out to me was Mike, our guitarist, who's in Bantam. And he's like, I like your stuff. You know, let's get together. And so he came over, we jammed on a few songs. And then from there, we started recruiting other musicians into Super Jelly. So it's a mix of, um, it's Suffolk, Norfolk, and Essex um, Mm -hmm. musicians. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we we get together, we jam regularly, and we're playing out, we're trying to play out about once a month. It's been a little tricky to Mm -hmm. get gigs at the moment, Mm -hmm. um, but that's going to start to open up, I think. And so we're, it's almost all original. Although we do play a few covers just mm-hmm. to spice things up, um, and we're writing and recording. We've just released an album in yep. November called Artifacts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's happening. I mean, it's and and it's a <laughs> solid band. Yeah, and I mean, we've listened to um, some of your songs. They're they're fantastic. And it just, I thought, oh, what would be fun if it's all right with you, Dax, is to just talk about a couple of those songs, and you can just give yeah. us the heads up, and we'll play a little bit um, after right, you've sure. spoken about it, and that would be cool. So. Pick some songs for us to chat through. Well, I'll start with this the single, which is called Heroes and Locusts. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that song is there's a couple of interesting stories about it. First of all, it takes on some, in the lyrical content, some social issues around class differences and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I really like having a point of view on society and the world. And mm. it's so, you know, all the songs aren't like love songs, although I have a few of those. Mm. They're really songs that speak to what's happening and, and even sometimes protesting things mm-hmm. that, you know, are that need protesting in my view. And so that's one of those songs and it has a, it has a very, very, in my view, <laughs> powerful um, instrumentation and mm-hmm. powerful vocal part. Uh, we recorded it in a studio in Ipswich. Mm-hmm. It was this guy, um, it was this little studio, and this guy did the, he recorded the live instruments for us, and then I mixed it at home. Um, but the guy, um, the guy was, was, when we did the recording, he was, he was com- kept complaining about his back and how bad he was, m- how much pain he was in. Mm-hmm. And I felt so sympathetic, and I was like, dude, you know, maybe do some yoga or get some, go to, get to the doctor. Yeah. As it turns out, he passed away after our session. I know. Like a week later, we heard he was he had died. Oh and my I, goodness. And so I know, shocking. And so and he was a really good guy. I never met him until the session, but I, so we kind of think of him honestly when I play that song because mm. he he was right there with us in the room and it's just so so there's like a ghost inhabiting that song now. And so I love the song, um, but it is it is slightly sullied or tainted by that mm. those circumstances. Yeah. Mm. Let's have a listen to it now then, and um, we'll come back straight after. Okay.
right, let's move on to another song, Dax. Where are you going to take us next? Hmm, let me think. Um, I think maybe let's talk about Overtired. Okay. Overtired, I think, might be our next single. We're debating it mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, so Heroes and Locusts, I wrote with the band this year or, or over the past year. It's a fresh, new piece of material. Overtired, I wrote 30 years ago, almost. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and I have I've played it in five or six bands um, over those years, those decades, really. Mm-hmm. And I really love this recording. is my favorite recording. It really has a magic, it captures some kind of vibe mm-hmm. that I really love. And it feels a little bit like... Um, like Suffolk has affected me in a way. Yeah. Um, because I, there's like almost um, the instrumentation or the way it's arranged has a little bit of English pop mixed into it. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think my experience of being here is starting to affect the sounds that come out of me and the band. And that would be a, just a natural progression. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Okay. Right. Let's listen to it right now. If he was a man travel clean despite everything we're all a little scared it's in the You mentioned that you're a keyboard player, and you're—I mean, I know you're playing guitar in this, on this album. Am I right? Yeah, I play—I play guitar and sing primarily. Mm. I can play keys, but n- I'm not a great keyboardist. Sure, but you're into electronica to a certain degree. Definitely. So I—I mm. I, I make music. Um, I, I have a solo project called mm-hmm. Dax C, mm-hmm. and it's—it is electronic based. Sometimes I'll throw some guitar licks in, but it's almost all like sample drums, bass mm-hmm. lines, keys, and um, and so I'll, I'll be sitting downstairs in the cellar just working away at a piece that's my own, and I, and so I do release music um, as as Dax C. So I, I'm about to uh, next Tuesday release a new single called The Back End. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is this almost um, cinematic kind of eight-minute piece uh, that has like um, a, a very mellow instrumental intro, a middle section that has some funky beats come in, and then a pop song type last section. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really pleased with it. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to get it out into the world. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me a little bit of um, maybe like Peter Gabriel-ish, or mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the band Mood Swings. It reminds me of them. So, mm-hmm. or maybe a little LCD sound system or Royce Cop. So it's like, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's it's it, you know, the, it's a side of music that I just totally love, and is just not a rock and roll band like mm-hmm. Super Jelly is. So yeah. it feels so different. Yeah, yeah. so I, I love it. Yeah. And should we have a listen to that too? Uh, sure. Yeah. I'd love that. Okay.
that's that's amazing, extraordinary, and quite different, as you say, to the rock band, to super Definitely. jungle work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, um, we look forward to that coming out. Let's know how you, how it, how it all goes for you, Dax. So, apart from being a brilliant musician and having a fabulous band, you say now that you have another job. I do indeed. <laughs> so I um, <laughs> I spent uh, the last twenty years working in the field of marketing mm-hmm. and a number of different marketing agencies in the U.S. And when I came to live here, I came for family reasons, as mm-hmm. I mentioned. And so I left the job that I had in New York and came here without a job. Mm-hmm. Kind of scary. Um, and wondering also, and my wife and I had many conversations, like, am I going to make it be able to fit in to a quite different culture, business culture? Mm-hmm. And I ended up at an agency called Smile, uh, which is in Hertfordshire mm-hmm. um, and London. And we just have totally hit it off. And so I'm a strategy director at Smile, which is mm-hmm. an event marketing agency, basically, or experiences. We work with Salesforce and Samsung and Meta, Red Bull, Roche, mm-hmm. um, National Grid, some really cool clients and yeah. interesting work. And yeah. I-, I love it. I do love the work. My passion is music, but I this is a close second. I really do enjoy mm. doing the work. And, and what, I, what I really have been doing a lot of over the past six months is thinking about how these brands can do more when it comes to social justice, social good, giving back to society. Mm-hmm. And so I almost have like um, an agenda mm. when, I'm, when I'm consulting with clients about where I think they should take their businesses and how they should spend mm. their money. Yeah. So it's like marketing and doing good or doing well by doing good. And, mm. and that is resonating. I mean, especially in today's weird global climate, Yeah. I think brands have to or should be um, taking on the issues that affect us all. Mm. Absolutely, completely. I mean, I think so many businesses, are, particularly after what's just happened with uh, mental health and people's well-being yeah. and you know it, it's been very difficult particularly for sections of our diverse culture that we have here in in the UK and indeed anywhere yeah. in the world but you know it, it has been quite exclusive and more so for others um, for some than others I should say so yeah and brands I'm sure are looking at making a level playing platform if you like to ensure that yeah. their businesses include everyone and uh yeah i mean certainly i work with clients too and edi i.e equality diversity and inclusion is top Mm. of the agenda so i'm not surprised yep it is for us too and there and i truly believe in the philosophy that a business can grow and do well and do good at the same time you Mm. know i i've seen it in action Mm. one of the companies that we work with i mentioned is salesforce Mm. and they just are so careful with taking on the right issues and concerns and they the the they and they strive for equity pay uh, Mm. gender equity pay and inside the company mark benioff the CEO said we can't uh, we won't have any meetings unless there's an equal uh, representation of men and women at the very least mm. and it's like and and so you can you can do the right thing and mm. be successful I just believe I truly believe that mm. Mm. me too yeah. I'm completely into yeah. it as well and and I think you mentioned sustainability but that is massively important and it's the way our customers have changed haven't they and uh, they've got younger the generations below us the millennials they choose very differently to how the previous generation purchase goods and that's another concept to look at and sustainability and carbon footprint is yep. 
top of their agenda. I mean, for sure. And and also, I think they have a very strong BS detector Mm. for greenwashing. And Mm. so they don't just want you to talk about sustainability. They need the evidence. Yeah. Um, We just did a project with a company. So we do a lot of events Mm. and events can be very wasteful, as you might imagine. Mm. Um, But we did we did a carbon net neutral carbon event and used all recycled materials for the build, mm-hmm. looked at carefully at how, how we were uh, dealing with waste, looking at using, e- even bringing in food and beverage that was locally sourced, organically grown, like mm-hmm. all uh, vegan mm-hmm. menus. I mean, there's so much that can be done mm-hmm. to improve because I believe in events. Like I do think people going out, people seeing each other face to face, those interactions, mm-hmm. and even the digital component now, like virtual events or hybrid and mixing it all together. Mm-hmm. I really believe that that's, that that is valuable to people. Mm. So the question is, how do you eliminate or at least limit the damage that is a result? Mm. And so this is a continuous conversation with mm. us and all of the companies we work mm. with. Yeah. That's really, really interesting. Really. I'm going to yeah. ask you, okay, I'm going to change the subject. Ready? Yeah, go on. <laughs> You've been here three years now. Okay. Yeah. And I want you to, in a comedic way, it doesn't have to be deadly serious, Tell us some of the funnies, the differences between living in the UK and living in the US. Huh. Okay. Well, there definitely <laughs> are differences. So I am I work in strategy, so I'm always observing things mm-hmm. and trying to make note of differences. So hmm, uh, here's one. When you drive here, <laughs> yes. especially like in Suffolk, you don't have to stop on every corner. You can just roll right through and never basically stop until you get to your destination. Mm-hmm. That is not the case in the US. There are stop signs on every freaking corner. <laughs> and if you at the slightest roll through those, you will get picketed. Right. On the flip side of that, mm-hmm. people speed like you wouldn't believe in the U.S. And here, those cameras are so evil. <laughs> yeah. We don't have speed cameras in the States. Oh. Not very much. I never knew that. Okay. So and the last it, thing hmm. I'll say is getting a license here was a Son of a bitch, man. (laughs) (laughs) It is so easy to get a driving license in the States. And here Mm. I had to, I failed my first written test. Oh my God. Mm. So embarrassing. And then I knew for the, even though I've been driving for what, 30 years, I went, when I did my practical, I took a driving lesson. Thank goodness. Cause they totally prepared me for mm. passing the test, even though I'm obviously able to drive, but I thankfully did finally pass my test and I do have a driving license. So yeah. if you see me on the road, don't worry. Well, there's something to be said about that, isn't there? I mean, cause I think, um, I've always known that the British driving test was one of the hardest in the world to pass. Unbelievable. And I couldn't believe how hard it was. No, and I actually heard of people leaving the country, taking their test somewhere that's not so serious and coming back and oh. being able to drive on our roads. But I don't oh, think... that's a thought. Yeah, well, it's just a quick way around of it, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think in the old days, I think you just had to get in and show how you could put your seat. No, you didn't have a seatbelt in the old days. Where am I going? Just had to show that you could put it in gear. <laughs> but do you drive with a stick or are you still automatic? I can drive with a stick, but I, I took my um, test on my in my car which is automatic so i I don't have the license for the manual but i can do the stick i can (laughs) some safety here's another area of difference so let's talk about food okay so when i go to the grocery store here Mm -hmm. there is an entire aisle of sweets an entire aisle of 
all sweets. Yeah. I just can't. That is unbelievable. English people have such a sweet tooth. I just can't believe it. <laughs> and then meanwhile, in the U.S., the obesity rates are way higher. So what's going on there? Like, maybe we're all on sugar highs and racing around, like, getting tons of exercise. I don't know. That's extraordinary, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, we do, our portions are probably smaller, generally, when you go to restaurants. They you know, are. I have noticed they're getting bigger. Yes. Well, that's the, that may be our, our influence. And, and speaking of portions, you know, when you buy food in the U.S., like again, going back to the grocery store, uh-huh. it's much cheaper if you buy like a really big size of something mm-hmm. and then, you know, rather than small sizes. It's really odd here. You don't get access to the large bulk sizes that I see in the U.S. I'm not sure why that is. Like, is it because cupboards are smaller and older houses and I just, less space? I just don't mm. know. I think yeah. It, well, I'm assuming it comes down to space to a certain degree. And I'm guessing, yeah. you know, wholesale to retail, that's their gap in the market, isn't it? So um, mm. that's their profit margin. No idea. It'll mm. be space. Absolutely. Actually, in mm. shopping, you know, in supermarkets, there is no mm-hmm. way that it, so we have that space in our towns. Here's two other quick ones. Go on then. When you go to the till in a grocery store in the U.S., mm-hmm. the worker at the till is always standing up. They don't. They're not allowed to have seats. Right. That's weird, right? Why not let the person sit down? Like here, they're sitting. It's just much more civilized. Yeah. Well, I can't. I don't. I have no answer to that. No idea. And then the last one is about Coca-Cola and other soda pop drinks or whatever we call it here, Mm -hmm. soda. Mm -hmm. I have noticed that it all is reduced sugar and has a mix of like minimal sugar or no sugar and fake sweeteners. Mm -hmm. We have in the U.S., there's just it's a sugar soda. It's like full sugar, everything. Mm. And, And it's just it's so interesting because. It's just a different like um, regulatory environment here. It's obviously those companies have been regulated to reduce their sugar for mm-hmm. because of the whole sweet tooth thing we talked about. Meanwhile, there's sweets everywhere, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a ir- ironic situation. But but when I first took a sip of um, of a soda here, I was like, ooh, this is this is funky. Something does not taste right here. And then I looked at it, and I was like, oh, it's half of it's fake sugar. So yeah. anyway. Ah, well, there's a big debate about that. Things. There's a big debate about that fake sugar, how how bad it is for you actually, and what it does to you, as opposed to normal sugar, which you can burn off fully. I 100% agree. I think the fake sugar, I think your body still thinks you're having sweet, and mm. so it it's sort of like um, it adapts in a way, and mm. it lo- it raises your tolerance for sweet. Mm. Um, rather than just having regular old sugar, in which case you kind of would it would moderate mm. itself. You know, I mean, here's another thing, like, I, I'm sorry if I'm going on, but I was diagnosed with diabetes um, mm-hmm. a year ago, diabetes type two. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not heavily overweight. I'm in pretty good shape, but mm-hmm. uh, it's genetic. So I, I, I went and, and, and I have to say, you know, as an American, never having really experienced the NHS, mm-hmm. they were unbelievable. Like they jumped on it. They were, they had me in there getting everything I needed to get done. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't get over. I know Americans always say this, but like, I didn't have to pay anything or <laughs> fill out any mm-hmm. paperwork. Mm-hmm. It was just like, go in, get it done, leave without saying a word, just like Mm. goodbye and thank you, Mm. you know, no stopping at the desk to Mm. give your credit card and pay 
an unbelievable amount. And so, mm. but I mean, obviously on the flip side, like for minor medical stuff, I've noticed the NHS is really like, they do not prioritize you. Mm. But if it's something major, I just couldn't believe how mm. amazing they were. They really took care of me. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I'm so glad you said that because I think people can forget how amazing that NHS is and we have yeah. it free, free. I mean, of course, it gets paid for through taxes and whatever, but ultimately that's that's equality, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, and I did have to, believe me, in order to live here, I had to pay an unbelievable amount of money to the NHS oh, did um, you? to get my, <laughs> yes. Yeah. You have to pay all kinds of fees in order to be able to live and work as an American in the UK. Mm-hmm. And one of them is an NHS charge that you have to pay every five years for the first three years. I mean, right. first three, you know, whatever, first mm-hmm. amount of time. And so I, I have paid. I have paid my way, but mm-hmm. I still, it still is in the day to day, it still is amazing mm-hmm. to go in there and not, not have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And they're brilliant. Yeah. They're all brilliant. So, yeah. um, well, thanks for that. Good advert for the NHS. I hope they're all listening. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next? The album is released and how's it doing? It's doing well. So we, we most, you know, these days everything is digital. Mm-hmm. So we are essentially on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, etc. And so everything is tracked through how many streams and plays you get. Yep. The royalties are nothing. You just cannot expect to make any money. No. So yeah. I, I got, you know, we got like a three cents of royalties. Which is oh, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I did get, you know, as an, another quick aside, like I did place a, a um, a couple of songs in a film that came out la- uh, last year. Mm-hmm. It was a remake. It was it was a, not a remake. It was a a release of a, a film t- um, shot in the seventies, and George Clooney was in it before he was famous. Right. And so when they released this film, they they decided it, it was canned for thirty years, and then it got released. And I got a nice royalty check out of that. That was pretty hey. amazing. Hey, well yeah. done. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> So we can listen to um, and find you on Spotify and all the normal um, yeah. music platforms. And what about gigs? Have you, have you got any coming up? We have one in April. Mm-hmm. You know what? I have to. Um, if you if you uh, if you want to find out where we're playing, best yeah. thing to do is look for us on socials. So okay. we are Super Jelly is our Facebook, it's our Instagram, and so and our website. So we are mm-hmm. Super Jelly is where to find gigs. I know we're playing in April. I think it's at the duke and ipswich but don't you know okay. i guess i'm on record here aren't mm-hmm. i anyway double check uh because i'm terrible at remembering these things but we will be playing um and we'll and we will we will be playing at other gigs after that mm-hmm. uh, we're just going through all the bookings now and so yeah so we are super jelly on the socials uh dax c if you d-a-x-c mm-hmm. uh the letter c uh like my name and if you so if you want to hear some electronic stuff mm-hmm. look for that that's on all the same mm-hmm. um streaming platforms yeah Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, we're going to have to let you go now, but thank you very much for chatting to us, Ducks. My pleasure. <laughs> and um, maybe we'll come and see you in Ipswich. Let's hope we're free. We will. We will come and see you. Excellent. Uh, I'd love it. All right. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Suffolk Pod Show. Find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Or you can visit our website, podtalk.co.uk. And here's our disclaimer. The Suffolk Pod Show will not be held responsible for any omissions or errors in its podcast. The Suffolk Pod Show is produced purely for entertainment purposes. Views and opinions are that of our own or that of our guests. <laughs> <laughs>